Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. I was reading about what they call lifestyle influencers. Lifestyle influencers are people on social media and on YouTube who influence people. They're different to what's called entertainment influencers or sport influencers. You know, you've got people like Ronaldo who plays soccer and everybody just follows him and he's an influence and they want to know about his children and so on. But he really doesn't say or do anything other than really play soccer. Might give his opinion about something now and again. 787 million people follow Ronaldo. It's quite amazing. Lionel Messi, 530 million. Selena Gomez, 499 million. And obviously, all, many of you watch Kim Kardashian, 450 million. But they are, ju- they are just influencers because of just who they are. But then you get what's called these lifestyle social media influencers. They are different. They sell products and beauty things and tech and so on. Uh, some of you may know them. Zoe Sugg, she's got 9 million followers. And uh, Julie uh, Serenina, 7.2 million. Lauren Conrad, 5.9 million. Mark Rober, he's a tech, a tech influencer. He shows you technical things, gets you to buy products, and so on. 23 million uh, people. And uh, Becky G, she's a beauty, a beauty influencer. She's got 34.8 million followers. Now, these people, they go online and they go on social media to show you products and beauty and, and tech and so on because they want you to change your mind about how you view products and services, and they want you to make a shift to buy into them. These people earn a lot of money from people buying these products and following their thinking. So they are known as social media influencers or lifestyle media influencers because they get you to change your values and your preferences and where you spend your money. Interesting word, influencer. I don't know if you've realized it, but leadership is not a position or a title. Leadership is actually influence. These people, while they're called influencers, they're actually leaders because they're getting you to change your mind and go in a direction that you may not have wanted to because of what they've told you. Are you all with me? And I think it's an important thing to realize that Christians are meant to be influencers. We are not meant to follow the world. We are meant to lead the world. See, leadership is not a position. It's not a title. It's influence. And sadly, across the world, including in our country, We keep putting people into positions and then they don't produce the goods and then we're surprised. Well, if you haven't got any ability, but you get a position, it doesn't make you a leader. Leadership is about influence. It's getting people to go in a certain direction and to accomplish certain goals. And I believe God has put us in the world as Christians to influence the world and to lead the world. But sadly, we back down and we let the world lead us and influence us. And God is using his church in the world, despite its imperfections, despite its weaknesses. Over the last while, we've seen major Christian leaders fail, and we've all been shocked and disappointed, certainly. And, uh, but God is still using and wants to use his church to lead the world. It's, there's no plan B. You say, well, it's full of weird people and full of failure and people have got hang-ups. It's still God's plan. He loves his son and he loves his church. And he wants to use his church to lead and to influence. And so I want to speak to you today, and I've entitled the message, Taking the Lead. Taking 
the lead. We must take the lead and not follow. Vince Lombardi was a very famous American football coach, and a lot has been written about him and things he said. And he said this, he said, leadership is based on a spiritual quality, the power to inspire, the power to inspire others to follow. It's not bullying or coercing or forcing people to do something. It's inspiring them and, 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 and getting them to catch a glimpse of something and then going in that direction. And uh, there's a shortage of leadership in the world. If you read articles online, including the World Economic Forum, they say there's an 86% shortage of leadership in the world. People have got positions and titles, but there's no real leadership. And so the church is in a very valuable position where it can lead and influence people for good. Because contrary to the world, when we influence people, it's for their good and God's glory. When worldly people influence you, it's usually for profit and their advantage and your disadvantage. Isn't that true? So God wants to use his church and he wants us to take the lead, even though we are imperfect and uh, we're, we're, you know, we, we see all the faults in the church. And people say to me, you know, the, the church is full of weaknesses. I mean, we have people constantly attacking the church, writing us emails and complaining about how they were hurt in church. You know, people talk about a church hurt. No, no, you didn't get hurt in church. The church just revealed how hurt you were. Because we all grow up with dysfunction of some kind. And then you come to church and you're in a community and God works in you to grow you and then you point at the church. See, the devil wants to discredit the church. God wants to use the church. And God wants us to take the lead and not be ashamed or embarrassed about it. He wants us to step up to the plate and make a difference because the goodness and grace of God operating through God's church is what can change a life and lift a life. I have to say that since I became a Christian, my life has dramatically changed. I would not be who I am today if it wasn't for God's church and God's word and God's leaders. I'd encourage you to get a, a new perspective on the church. Don't just look at the weaknesses and the failings. Look at the good that's come in your life. The blessing, the prosperity, the breakthroughs, the deliverance. People have been addicted and, and broken, grown up in dysfunctional homes, and they end up being blessed by God and raised. Often when you become a Christian, your whole life goes up a level. But the world tries to tell you that it has more knowledge, it has more wisdom, and it has the way. No, it doesn't. It has a way. We have the way, the truth, and the life. And we must take the lead. Let me remind you of Deuteronomy 28. The Lord promises that when we serve him and follow him, our lives get better, not worse. It says here in Deuteronomy 28 from verse 12, the Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your land. God promises if you follow him, he'll bless you. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands, of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you'll always be at the top, never at the bottom. That's a promise of God. You might not be living it right now, but you need to hold on to it and you need to follow God so that you can take the lead and be the head and not the tail. But somehow we keep getting influenced by the world. They seem to know more than us. They seem to be more broad-minded. They seem to be more inclusive. No, God has got no plan B. The church is plan A. And he wants to use his church and he wants to use you and I with our weaknesses even with our growth that we, we're in a state, you know, we're all in a place of growing, he wants to use us to take the lead. Now, why do I say that? Well, I say that to, to begin to get to the core of the message. You're probably wondering why there's a ship on the screen. 
Well, the Bible tells us that in Acts chapter 27, Paul was sent on a ship to Rome because he appealed to King Agrippa, and he was a Roman citizen. He was, he was falsely arrested and accused of, 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 of dissension, and he appealed to Caesar. So they sent him on a ship, and he went to Rome. It was two ships. In fact, they switched ships at Alexandria in Egypt. We were just recently visiting Alexandria, and Paul was put on a second ship. And uh, as he traveled on that ship, it went through a terrible storm. We'll read about it. And finally, the ship was shipwrecked. It was completely broken up by the waves uh, at St. Thomas Bay on the island of Malta. We've been there. Uh, they, they have a bay called St. Paul's Bay, but that's not where the shipwreck happened. It happened on a reef that goes out into the sea, uh, Monksmar Reef at St. Thomas Bay. And it is a real thing. It really happened. And the ship had, I think it's 200 and, uh, let me get, not get the number right, uh, wrong, it had uh, a lot of people on board, uh, 286, 76 people on the ship. So this is not a little boat. I don't want you to get them that they were in a little boat and it got really hectic and they were vomiting and then it sank and then they... No, no, this was a major cargo ship contracted to the Roman government for transporting prisoners. And Paul was put on there with Luke. Luke went as a companion. Aristarchus was one of the people who was also a prisoner for the gospel. And there were a few other people. And 276 prisoners chained to Roman centurions uh, were sent across the sea in the storm. And on this journey, Paul is a prisoner and he's the lowest ranked person on the ship. You've got centurions, you've got captains, you've got pilots, you've got sailors. And then you've got prisoners. Paul's right at the bottom according to title and position. Yet during the whole journey and the fact that all of them made it onto the beach, all 276 were actually saved, was due to Paul taking the lead. And I want you to see what he said and did so that you can do the same thing because we're living through stormy times. We're living where we're being battered. We're being influenced and People are shipwrecking their lives, shipwrecking their homes and their marriages, and we have to stop being battered. We have to stand up. Even though we don't have position or title or we're not regarded as Christians, every Christian is an influencer, and we just, I'm going to take the lead. Can you say amen? So I'm going to read different portions from here, and we're going to look at eight qualities of people who take the lead. But before we get there, John Waxwell says this, and I want you to see this in not just in context of business leadership or church leadership, but to see it as, as a Christian. He says this, a leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. Now, surely, if you took the word leader out, just leave it on the screen, a Christian is one who knows the way, goes the way and see many of us know the way and go the way but we don't show anyone way it's time for us to take the lead and to step up and to say hey this is what God says this is the way to go and for us to build the kingdom so that people come out of the world we can't change the world it's decaying and it will be judged we've got to call people into the kingdom instead of trying to merge the kingdom and the world we've got to speak up and get people to come out of the shipwreck storm into the kingdom are you with me and so leadership wins people over. Paul here becomes a leader. He has no rights, no position, but he becomes an influencer. And we pick it up in Acts 27 and verse 14. Let me just say this to you. I've been studying the book of Acts for about two and a half months. And while we were on a ship traveling in the Mediterranean from these various places, we actually got to the place where Paul sheltered, a place called Fair Havens in the Bible. It's an island called Heraklion, 
in the middle of the Adriatic and uh, Paul uh, sheltered there, God spoke to me from his word about this. And that's why I'm preaching to you today. So I believe it comes from the Lord, even if you don't think so. <laughs> Acts chapter 27. Let's pick it up, church. It says, before very long, they, this is on the second ship now, they're sailing to Rome. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship, not the boat, the ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. I think some people's lives are like this. They just can't make headway and they feel battered. And it says, as we passed to the lee of a small island called Corder, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. How many of you can see this is a pretty big crisis they're facing? They're being battered, and the boat is threatening to break up, and they're trying to hold it together. Then it says, because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered a sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. When you drop an anchor, it kind of drags, and so it keeps the boat pointed in the right way. Otherwise, it turns sideways, and it can capsize. Uh, he, he goes on to say, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day, they began to throw the cargo overboard. This is a commercial ship but they, they, were, they wanted to make it lighter. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, the storm continued raging. We finally gave all, up all hope of being saved. Can you see this is a dire situation? This is not some little trip, even like with Jesus across the lake. Lord, we're going to die. No, this is a ship. This is like a cruise liner. And this is a serious situation. And it speaks to me of the times we're living in. We are being battered. And some people have given up all hope. But Paul becomes a leader in the midst of all this, and he takes the lead. And I want to encourage you to take the lead too. Eight qualities of people who take the lead. Are you with me? Number one, the first thing we see that Paul did is, and, and, and we need to be like this if we want to take the lead in our culture, is they are good on relationships. People who take the lead are good on relationships. Indira Gandhi, who was the third Prime Minister of India, she said, I suppose leadership at one time meant muscles, in other words, force, but today it means getting along with people. So you can force people, you can bully people, you can coerce people, but that's not true leadership. Leadership is influence. Leadership is getting along with people. Leadership is winning people. And often when people disagree with us, we withdraw from them, but we actually need to engage them and build bridges with them. Then when we share the gospel with them, they'll be more open. Paul did that on the ship. You say, well, how do you know? Well, if you read the whole passage, which we haven't got time to do, but we're going to read portions of it, we can see that it took just one day, and Paul already has influence on the ship because he built relationships. Acts 27 verse 3, it says the next day, they were, on, they were on, just on the boat for one day, the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, he was a centurion in the imperial regiment, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friend's so that they might provide for his needs. Do you know that if a centurion let a prisoner escape, that centurion's life would be forfeited for that of the prisoner? Yet Julius says to him, you can go to your friends inside and you can hang out, you can pray, you can eat with him because I know you'll come back because he had built a relationship with Paul. In fact, at the end, Paul says that uh, they all need to stay on the ship, otherwise they won't be saved. And because uh, men started jumping overboard out of fear when they... When they hit this uh, uh, reef just off Malta. Um, 
the centurion, out of love for Paul, told them, no, don't kill the prisoners, because he had built such a good relationship with Paul. I believe we need to build relationships with people, then they will listen and take our lead. When you go to Bryce, don't fight with people. <laughs> build a bridge to them, take an interest in them, and then maybe you'll have an opportunity to share. You might have not the authority or the position, but God will use you, but you first got to build a bridge. And many people came to Christ because Paul was able to influence them and build relationships with them. Brian Tracy, who is a business leader, said the three C's of leadership are consideration, caring, and courtesy. Be polite to everyone. As a Christian, we should seek to build relationships and not to compromise our values, but how will we reach people and lead people if we don't relate to people? Can you say amen? Number two, second thing in taking the lead, this is what Paul did, is they step up, not step away in a crisis. They step up, not step away. Paul didn't jump overboard when they were in the storm and take care of himself. He stayed on board and offered help and advice. He stepped up to add value. And South Africa is in a crisis. If we all immigrate, who will be left behind to build the nation? And having just come back from overseas, I can tell you it's not so rosy over there. People think it's so wonderful. Now, driving is terrible. Drive in America. You've got to hunt with the hares and run with the hounds. Driving in Los Angeles on the wrong side of the road is not fun. Eh? And I'm looking at the speed and thinking, some, I'm going to hear sirens any minute because that's what you see on TV. Woo, woo, yeah. And the, the, the needle just, and people are hogging me and riding up against the side of me, and I'm just watching the bonnet keep that white line because I'm on this side of the car. Just keep that white line there, there, you know, in the middle of the road. Keep that white line. And the roads are weaving, and they're ducking and cutting in, and people are hooting. The, the world is not a wonderful place. Stop bringing South Africa down. Step up. Don't step away. The world pretends to offer you peace and success and an ideal life. No, it's only in the kingdom you will experience that. And God wants to use us. Leadership is tested in times of crisis. And the church is being tested as to how she will respond. Will she huddle in a holy huddle and isolate herself? Or will she step up and take the lead? Paul stepped up. He didn't step away. And that's what leaders do. John MacArthur, in speaking about leadership, says true leadership is tested and proved in crisis. The real leader is the one who can handle the stress. He's the one who can solve the problems, bear the burdens, find the solutions, and win the victories when everyone else is merely flustered, confounded, and perplexed. This underscores the truth that leadership is not something automatically conferred by title or by rank. Again, leadership is influence. It's a matter of ability, not position. So we need to step up and speak words of faith. And Paul did that in the situation, which we will read in just a moment. He didn't back away. He didn't avoid the challenge. He, he is the lowest ranked person, but he steps up. He's built a relationship. Now he's given an ability, you know, an opportunity to speak. And so he steps up and we need to do that. The third thing Paul did, and we need to do the same, and I'll, we'll read the text in a moment where he did this, is they speak even when people don't listen. See, we think the world doesn't want to listen to us, so we don't speak. Then no, we need to speak despite the fact that they don't listen. Because God can take what we've said and later on impress it upon them. Am I making sense? See, it's very important for us that we realize we've got an obligation to speak God's word and to speak advice to the world and to tell them what God has said and what God wants to do in them and through them and how God wants to bless them and save them and lift their lives. But sometimes we feel embarrassed because we're this weird church on the corner of South and Middle. And there's a whole lot of strange people. And I'm embarrassed about some of the people in my church. And, 
And, and, and, and my pastor, you know, he's known as the racist pastor. So. And so we feel inferior instead of building relationships, stepping up and speaking God's word and giving advice and helping people. But they won't listen. doesn't matter. Even in our own church, our members don't listen. Preach the word and you get emails about this, that, and the other. It's the nature of the beast. You just keep doing it. And the leader focuses on helping others, taking the lead for the good of others. And the Bible tells us in Ezekiel chapter 3 that if we don't warn people and speak to them, God will hold us accountable. He says, if you see people going, you know, shipwrecking their lives and they're lost and you don't speak to them, I'll, I'll hold you accountable for their blood. But if you've spoken to them and offered advice and helped, even if they don't listen, I won't hold it to your charge. Now, the Bible tells us here in Acts 27, they're on the journey, watch this, much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. That's around the 24th, 25th of September. So this could have been in the beginning of October, a very bad time to be on the Mediterranean as they go into autumn and the seas change and it becomes a completely different dynamic and says, so Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Well, clearly, Paul, who are you? Some religious fanatic, and you're telling us to sail this ship? We're used to this. We, this is our career. This is what we do for a living. You're a nutter. And they don't listen to him, but he speaks up nonetheless. Are you with me? And sometimes the world has knowledge, but they don't have the wisdom of God. And because of their profit, maybe, their contract with the Roman government, they don't listen to him. And so they shrug him off, but he still speaks up because he, he has some wisdom from God. Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that he, he was shipwrecked three times. He spent a day and a night in open water. He's got something to say about what he's been through. So he can offer, our lives have often been ruined and wrecked and damaged and Jesus has saved us. Now we can talk to people who are facing shipwreck and tell them, I've been where you are. Don't listen to the world and what the world offers. Listen to what I'm telling you. Even though you won't listen, I'm trying to warn you that God's got something better for you and he wants to save you. Someone believes that in the room? My about to say amen or ouch. So they go through this journey. Two weeks, they are so paranoid, so fearful. They don't eat for two weeks. This storm is battering the boat and Paul speaks up because he knows that God has given him a responsibility to be an influencer, even though he doesn't have position or title. John Maxwell, again, in speaking on leadership, says, he says, my leadership began to take flight when I allowed myself to press people to change whether they thanked me or cursed me. We have a responsibility to influence people for the glory of God. Number four, the fourth thing Paul did, and we'll build a picture as we go along, is he, and we need to do this, they inspire people by their example. If we're going to take the lead, we need to inspire people by example. People are watching how we live. They're watching how we react to crises. Are we adding to the negativity? I know that during COVID, we were also pulled down and so battered by what happened, by the closure of the church, by some of the circumstances in the world. They all began to speak negatively instead of looking ahead and sailing into better waters. And it's taken us a while to rebuild and to move forward. But people are watching how we deal with crises. Acts 27, verse 33, it says, just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. 
for the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. Listen, it's one thing when passengers are, are afraid on a ship. It's another thing when the crew don't eat. You know you're in trouble. And it says you haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. You can't have weak people and weak sailors trying to sail a ship. He says, not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. He's like eating by himself. I love verse 36. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. It's like, oh, well, he's eating, let's eat. It's amazing how you can trigger people and influence. Don't go to a briar and join in the conversation of how many potholes we have and how bad South Africa is and how this political party and that political party and this thing and that thing, and we all pull each other into a hole and then we all eat together and we commiserate and we go home more negative than we came. I think we need to maybe set an example, speak differently, live people's lives. We've all, we've all been guilty of this. It's so easy, especially if you get news sent to you on your phone. First thing in the morning tells you what's going on. So before your soul can soar, no, 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 I have to take the lead. Then I still need to know what's going on in my country. But I've got to let God lead me. Let his word lead me. Let his voice speak to me. And we've got to be people who lead by example. Uh, Albert Schweitzer said this, and I've repeated this many times in preaching. Example is not the main thing in influencing others. It's the only thing. And forgive me if I've not been a great example in this at times when my own soul has been weary and discouraged by what we see around us. But I'll tell you what, traveling again has reminded me that the world is in trouble, not only South Africa. And you've got to have this, don't have this illusion that you can go somewhere else and can be paradise. Try and sell your house here and see what you can buy in the UK. Some old decrepit semi-detached place on the road with no parking. No, it's a fact. And go to America, you don't know if someone's going to bash your door down and invade your house or drive a car right through the wall because the walls are made of paper. They are, I mean, it's boarding, it's just paper. Lady drove her car into someone's house while we were there. It was on the news. She drove right across the road, across the lawn, right across. She went inside the house, and then the car caught fire. All the people had to get up in their nighty and run outside, and the house was on fire. And then we say, South Africa, it's a disaster. No, the world is in trouble. It is in a storm, and it's facing shipwreck. We need to build relationships. We need to speak if people don't listen. We need to set an example of faith and hope. The fifth thing that Paul did and we need to do as well if we're going to take the lead is they know whose they are and who they serve. See, Paul didn't panic and jump overboard and try and save himself. He knew who he belonged to the Lord. He knew who he was serving. He knew he was serving God's purposes. Can I say this to you today? If you're alive, you're serving God's purpose. He's got a plan for your life. And it's not just to bless you and prosper you and so you can get another car and a nice house and travel and wear nice clothes. Your life is much more important to God than that. He wants to use you that he might display his glory, that he might use you to lead and reach other people. And so let's enjoy all the blessings of the Lord and our, as our lives go up, but we've got a job to do. We've got a responsibility. And Paul here uh, is, 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 is facing a massive challenge but he trusts that there's a sense that God is on his side and that God is taking him to Rome for a divine purpose. Acts 27, let's pick it up again. He says to them, but now I urge you to keep up your courage 
because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. So Paul is not just saying, everything's going to be fine. He's not a motivational speaker. Just believe, 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 and keep your eyes on the positive, not the negative. No, he's saying, hey, there's trouble cometh. But in the midst of it, God's got his hand on us. And he says, a ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God, of the God, sorry, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all, you, all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God, watch this, that it will just happen, sorry, that it will happen just as he told me. You know what God's told us in his word? We need to believe that it will happen as he has said. Here Paul had a word from God, but we've got the word of God. And it says, nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Paul had strong convictions that he belonged to the Lord and that God would take care of him, even though he would go through trouble. The ship would be shipwrecked. There would be loss of the ship, but the lives of people would be saved because he knew who he belonged to and who he was serving. Do you know that you belong to the Lord? You don't just attend a church and get some input. You are hid with Christ in God. You are a believer living in another kingdom. God is working in you and through you for his eternal purpose for to take you to heaven. We don't serve ourselves. And so we must look beyond the world and realize we're part of the kingdom and we belong to them. When you know that, there's a sense in which there's a comfort in your life. And I want to say this to you, your calling and God's promises to you will be tested. Even when God gives you big promises from the word, like a word, like he, I know God's told me he's got someone for me to marry. I know God's going to bless me with a business. Even that will be tested because Joseph got two, uh, two lots of dreams where he was told that his brothers would bow down to him, but Psalm 105 tells us that, that he ended up in prison and the word of the Lord was tested in his life. You must take the lead. Joseph had to take the lead despite being tested. Number six, here's a sixth thing that Paul did and we need to do the same. They never compromise on absolutes. You see, Paul was told by God that everyone needed to stay on the ship and that the ship would be shipwrecked but no lives would be lost. And the Lord said, if you, if you want them to be saved, no one must, must jump overboard. So Paul did not then change God's instructions. He didn't tweak it. He stuck to it. You see, here's, here's, a, here's a key thing. When it comes to, to things like marriage, you better compromise. In fact, this is the word of the Lord to some of you. Thou shalt not be stubborn and pig-headed. Thou shalt listen and make compromises, or thy marriage is over. See, on style, taste, and preference, compromise creates unity. But on principle, there's no compromise. So when God told Paul, all these people must stay on the boat or you won't be saved, he didn't say, well, you know, the Lord said this, but I think we can adjust it. No, no. Those who lead can't have compromises. I said in the first service that we've got a team of people at Rivers Church who, who support and lead with me and, and, and I've got leaders that I'm raising up, certainly campus pastors and executive pastors and, and other people that work alongside me. And I listen to their input and I ask them for perspective and opinion. But there are times when I've got to take the lead, otherwise we would keep looking for consensus, make everybody happy. That's not leadership. Leadership is knowing what God has said and then going there. And you better know what God is saying, especially if you're in a senior position of leadership. You better know what God is saying to you, otherwise you'll be all over the place. Or you need to step out and give someone else the leadership. Are you with me? 
So compromise is good in marriages and in certain kinds of relationships, but it's not good when it comes to God's principles. You can't tweak God's word. The Lord said that about marriage, but we know that when you get older, that doesn't work. And You know, yeah, you mustn't, you know, there mustn't be sexual immorality, but when you get to 40, I mean, what do you do? No, no, no. You can't compromise. If you're going to lead, you must know exactly what you believe, and you must stick to it. I see this very popular with you. Let me take you back to the word before you write me an email. Acts 27. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion, this is Paul taking the lead again. He said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that hold the lifeboat and let it drift away. You see, you've got to stick to what God said, otherwise you won't be saved. Let me bring this into, you know, the ship is a picture sometimes of the church. People say, I I love the Lord, but I don't like the church. No, no, you need to be part of the ship if you want to be saved. You can't believe in Jesus and have your own version. You need to stay on the ship. But I don't like the ship. It's full of animals. That's God's design. It's like the ark. It must have been stinky. All these all the poop and all the crowing and the barking and the howling was God's vehicle of salvation. And unless you stayed on it, you were judged. So God's vehicle for the church looks like a whole lot of weird people put together. We're like animals sometimes. But it's, you need to stay with it. You can't compromise because it's God's plan A. Does that make sense? And we want to be able to take Jesus, you know. And, and, and this is what people say, Pastor Andre, can't you preach Jesus? Jesus never spoke about X, Y, and Z. No, no, you don't know the Bible. What did Jesus preach that we need to preach Jesus? What you mean is you want to preach all the nice stories about the miracles there, so that every week you can be buoyed up. And they went across the lake, and he rebuked this one, and they got to the other side. No, no, Jesus preached the whole of the Old Testament. He actually spoke about the kingdom, and he preached his Father's will. Now, if you've read Leviticus and Deuteronomy and... See, when you say preach Jesus, you mean you preach what Jesus preached. Or you're saying leave things out. No, no, we can't compromise. Hope I'm making sense. You see, it's interesting when you think about Jesus' time as well. Do you know that when Jesus preached in Matthew's gospel, it says this, Matthew 7, the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Do you remember that verse? What does that mean as one having authority? Did he put his foot down and say, this is what you need to believe? No. Do you know what the scribes and Pharisees and the rabbis did? They taught the Bible, but they left you to make up your mind. Oh, it says that, but you can do that. Oh, it says this, but I think it's okay if we do that. When Jesus came, he says, thus saith my father. That's authority. Church, if it's going to lead, must speak with the voice of Jesus not the voice of rabbis or the world, with all respect to the rabbis. Number seven, this is what Paul did, and we need to do the same if you're gonna take the lead, is they're not ashamed of the church or the gospel. See, if you're ashamed of the church, you'll never take the lead. You won't want people to know you're a Christian. I must admit, while I was sailing on the ship, I didn't want people to know I was a Christian or a pastor, because I didn't want to counsel anyone. Because you know what happens when you say, people find out you're a pastor, then they go, can I just talk to you? No, go away, I'm on holiday. 
And sometimes you can back down because you don't want people to know. We engage people on a trip on the coach and various things we did. What do you do? I was like, take the subject elsewhere. The one lady, she was an author. I said, I've also written books. Oh, on what? Leadership. Because I don't want to go there. But as Christians in the norm, we have to speak up and not be ashamed. I'm the pastor of Rivers Church. I love God's people. We've got a wonderful church and five campuses. We're seeing lives change, people getting saved. Each. Don't be ashamed. Paul wasn't ashamed of being a believer, yet he took the lead. And you can't be ashamed. He, he says this in Romans 1, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The gospel is powerful. When you invite Jesus into your life and receive him as Savior, you don't become weird. Are you a Christian? Yeah, I can see it because you. That's why if you've got weird behavior and weird stuff that you do, don't tell them you come to Rivers. Just tell them you go to a church in Santon. Because we're not weird. The gospel changes lives. It builds families, unites marriages, grows kids up that aren't dysfunctional. We, in the first service, we had Mona's son, uh, Austin, who's grown up in this church from a, from a young child. He's now played at the funeral yesterday and, and played the keyboard so beautifully. For me, that's, that's because he's serving the Lord and he's positioned for success and, 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 and honoring God. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm proud of that. The gospel frees people. You might be struggling with an issue right now, but the gospel has changed your life. You're just, you're just not grateful for it. I'm grateful that I don't smoke grass anymore or trip on LSD from Amsterdam like I used to while listening to Pink Floyd and looking for enlightenment with peace signs and hats and long hair and bell-bottom jeans. Cool, man. And when I travel, I see people like it, and I'm like, man, I could just talk to them because they believe they are living the life, but they don't understand the power of the gospel. Am I making sense? See, the gospel makes a better world. doesn't make a worse world. Don't let people lie to you about the church. Deuteronomy 28 tells us it would be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. Psalm 1 says that we don't sit in the seat of, un of the ungodly. We will prosper like a tree planted by rivers of water and that will yield its fruit and in every season it will flourish. In fact, it goes on to say in Psalm 92, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, strong, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. What does it mean to flourish? It means to live your best life, to, 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 to be filled with potential. Sin destroys and weakens and breaks people down, but the gospel brings freedom. Church is not the problem, it's the solution. Think of how the early church started, fragile, being persecuted, and then it thrived and it took on the Roman Empire. I don't know if you know it, but there are 380,000 churches in America, 3 million in the world. There are 2.6 billion believers worldwide. You say, well, how much is that? That's 1 billion more than there are cars on the planet. So next time you walk down the street and you see cars, there's cars everywhere. Well, there are believers everywhere. 1 billion more than there are cars. A church is not something to be ashamed of. We need to stand up and take the lead and speak up because the church is not in decline, it is thriving, and it promises a good outcome. The world promises us temporary peace, it, it offers us temporary success, and temporary fulfillment, but we've been promised eternal comfort and peace, and I hope in the future, through the Lord Jesus Christ. The last thing, number eight, is this is what Paul did, is they embraced divine wisdom, not the trends of the times. Are you all still with me? 
See, Paul had divine wisdom. That's why he could lead, because he wasn't offering knowledge. He was offering wisdom. There's a big difference. People go to universities to get educated, and it's all good and well. But it, that, learns, that teaches you how to do something, not how to live life. Wisdom does not teach you a skill. It teaches you how to live your life in entirety. And that's what the church does for you. That's what the gospel does for you. I've just released a book called Embracing Divine Wisdom from a series that I just, uh, that I finished, sorry, and just managed to finally write it. And in this book, I speak about the three kinds of wisdom. We all live on the planet Earth, which is the middle one. And we can either be influenced from under the earth, like from the pit of hell, from with demonic wisdom. That's where all the trouble comes from. Or we can trust God for divine wisdom. When you trust God for divine wisdom, your life goes up. When you trust God, when you listen to demonic wisdom, your life goes down. And, uh, and Paul didn't just have knowledge or experience, he had divine wisdom. And if you're going to take the lead, you need to know the wisdom of God. You need to be walking with the Lord in the Holy Spirit, studying the Word of God, because the world's wisdom doesn't work, but God's wisdom brings good outcomes. 2 Corinthians chapter, three, uh, chapter 2 and verse 14, Paul says, Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. We will overcome, we will be victorious when we follow God's wisdom. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We need to build relationships, step up, not step away. We need to be people who speak up even when people don't listen. We need to set an example. We need to not be ashamed of the gospel. And we need to hold on to divine wisdom. And we need to take the lead in our country because more than ever, the church is needed to take its place. Every believer is a leader. And so I want to encourage you today to take the lead and to be an influencer in your workplace, amongst your family, and for God to use you for his glory and honor, because the church is the answer to the world. Can you say amen? We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message. 